Well, good morning, everyone. We're a bit of a different setup today. Uh, we are doing some projects over at our church facility, um, some painting, some gardening, and while we're not meeting there in person, we had an opportunity to do the work and wasn't really visually um, the proper setting for today with all the work going on. So we'll be where, where we are, uh, gathered together virtually. We're going to be in Luke 12 today, um, and let me start by um, praying for us. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the ability to hear your word. We thank you for the ability to um, worship you. We thank you for the fact that you are never changing, always perfect, that you love all people in some ways and some people in all ways. And those some people you love in all ways are those you have saved. Lord, we thank you that you are a gracious and kind God, that you offer salvation to all who will turn to you. And we pray that through your word today, Lord, those who have not yet trusted in you will, and those who have would be reminded of what a magnificent, mighty, and loving Father we have, Savior we have, and Spirit we have who empowers us. So, Lord God, I pray that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word today, that your saints would be sanctified, and that we would delight more fully in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Luke 12, if you remember, we're working our way through um, the Gospel of Luke, but in particular, Luke 12, verse 1 to 13, 9, is a continual narrative. And it's a narrative interrupted a couple times by questions. And Last week, we saw one of those questions which Jesus responded to with the parable um, of the rich fool. And what we have in our text today is Jesus picking up the back end of that parable. And you'll see in verse 22, he says, therefore, and he said to his disciples, therefore. And one of the great theological lessons that you learn in seminary is whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you want to ask, what's it there for? And I'll give that one to you all for free today. And the therefore is there for the reason to tell us that in light of what Jesus has just said to this, um, to, to this question via this parable, there are questions people have. So if you remember, a guy says to Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus says to the guy and to all the people there listening, I'll tell you a story. There is a rich man. Why don't we just look at it? He said... Verse 16 of, of Luke 12, told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? 
Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so what Jesus is doing here is talking about fear, anxiety, and worry, and it goes something like this. Tie the whole thing in together. So if you're not going to store up in your barns your goods and your produce, how are you going to provide for yourself? If you're not saving to make sure you got what you need moving forward, well, who's going to take care of you? And what Jesus is saying here is the answer to that question. And he uses the words anxiety, worry, fear. And we are a anxious, worrisome, fearful people. Oh, we manifest it in different ways. Perhaps one of the ways we manifest it is we're worried people might know we worry, so we don't tell people that we worry. We, we see it in a variety of ways, and Jesus is tying it in particular to wealth and possessions. And, and we all live in this world, right? We're, we, we, we all know we're never going to work forever, so we got to save money for retirement. And if we don't look out for number one, well, we avoid stepping in number two, who's going to look out for us? And so there's this balance where Jesus is saying, don't be a fool. Don't worry about storing up your barns, because life isn't about you providing for yourself. Life is about, well... That's what we're going to see. First point, what is life about? What is God's purpose? What is God's provision? Jesus says, the life, is, life is more than food and the body more than clothing. What does he mean by that? Well, well, food is sustenance to eat. Clothing is protection to keep your body safe. And Jesus' point is, the purpose of life isn't for you to eat and be protected to continue your life. The purpose of life is far more than that. In fact, I'll ask you guys the question, what is the purpose of life? If someone asks you that question, how do you answer? Well, if you grew up in a house where you were taught a catechism, for example, the Westminster Shorter, you would immediately know the answer to that. You would say, wait a minute, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And if you paid attention while you were taught a catechism, you'd go, well, wait a minute, that comes from 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whatever you do, do for the glory of God. See, life isn't about providing for yourself and protecting yourself and filling up your barns. That's the American dream, full barns. Life is about glorifying God. And, and notice this. When God saves you, he doesn't hope that you can provide for and protect yourself so he can use you. No. He obligates himself to provide for and protect you so that he can and will use you as he fulfills his purpose for you. In fact, Psalm 138.9, God will fulfill his purpose for you. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Can, can you just take a minute and, and rest on that? What Jesus is saying is, look at the ravens. You ever, you ever see a raven walking around panhandling? You, you ever see a raven that couldn't find a home? 
Ravens get fed. Ravens have shelter, not because they save up and purchase it, but because God provides it. And Jesus's point is, how much more so you of more value than a raven? Or, or look at the lilies in the grass. It's wild grass. Look how pretty they are. They're Solomon, the best dressed man in the history of humanity, never in all his glory looked quite as pretty as a lily or a wildflower in bloom. And so, so Solomon had great wealth, but his wealth couldn't provide the clothing that the lilies in the grass had from God. And Jesus's point is, how much more so you? But here's the rub. Here's where it ties into the parable of the rich fool. We can live life looking out for our kingdom and building our castle, or we can live life seeking God's kingdom and tending his castle. In fact, it's, it's a bit like Haggai, chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the six months of the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while the house, while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does not put them into a bag with holes. Does he not put them into a bag with holes? Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up on the hills and bring wood to build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Listen to this. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. You, you filled up your barns and they kept emptying out, right? God says, why? Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. And here's what happened that Haggai spoke to, that Jesus speaks to is, our job is not to tend to building our house first and foremost. Our job is Luke chapter 2. Um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's, it's Luke 12 down in verse, what is it, 31 here? Um, yes. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. What are these things? God will provide for you. God will protect you. God has obligated himself to care for you until his purpose for you is complete. Listen, Jesus says, don't be worried you can't add a single day to your life. Now, one could argue that worry can shorten your life, um, that sin, I should say, could shorten your life. Um, you could read 1 Corinthians and read what happened with um, some folks taking communion in an inappropriate manner. Uh, you could read Acts 5 and look at Ananias and Sapphira. Um, Sometimes life can get shortened, but we're never going to lengthen our life. Now, we live in a culture which is overdosed on food and clothing. I mean, we, we're all about what I'm eating, where I'm eating, how it's tasting, what I'm wearing. We, we don't worry about how to get clothes to have something to wear. We worry about where to fit all the clothes that we have and how to, how to move out the old ones to bring in the new ones, right? So, so what Jesus is saying, especially to a culture like ours, is hang on a minute. Look at the ravens, look at the lilies, look at the grass. Look to your God, look to who you are. Look to the fool who was not rich towards God and understand this. If you spend your life trying to build your kingdom and, or build your kingdom and manage your castle, 
you will be riddled with anxiety and worry and fear because every time your castle is threatened or your kingdom is threatened, then you start to get anxious, worried, and fearful. But if you seek God's kingdom and focus on his castle, if you will, you'll have no fear because it's a castle and a kingdom that could never be threatened. And here's the beauty. We live in a world riddled with anxiety, but the world's best offers we can help manage your anxiety. Jesus has promised one of the benefits of salvation. The primary benefit is saved from the wrath of God, adopted as a son of God. But a secondary benefit is not managing anxiety, but freedom from anxiety, because our anxiety is all tied into us not trusting that God will provide for and protect us perfectly, that he has numbered our days and our days will not end until he has fulfilled his purpose for us. Do you, do you, do you hear the freedom that comes in that? It's not saying don't save. It's saying steward your money wisely. It's saying don't seek first to fill your barn. It's saying seek first the kingdom of God. And as you seek the kingdom of God, here's a promise of God. This is uh, Philippians. Um, Paul says, I have learned how to be in want. I have learned how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What's the secret? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But then you go down to Philippians 4, 19, same context, and it says, God will provide for all of our needs through the glory and riches of Christ Jesus. See, you might have a lot, you might have a little, but you always have exactly what you need and enough in Christ. In, in fact, a young lion might suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. That's Psalm 34:10. So Jesus' point is steward wisely, but don't steward to fill your barns first. Steward seeking the kingdom first. Easier said than done, but don't miss that. Look at the ravens. Look at the lilies. Look at the grass. Look to your God. But it's not just Jesus telling us do that. He's telling us who we are that are doing that and who God is. Look at verse 30, if you would. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and what are the next two words in your Bible? Mine says, your father. Your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is, what are the next two words in your Bible there? Mine say, your father's good pleasure is to give you the kingdom. I wonder how well we know God. Uh, you know, there's, there, there's a, a great Mother or Father's Day, I guess is better, Father's Day card in Luke 11, where it says, Happy Father's Day, Dad, you're an evil guy. And you say, what are you talking about? Well, look, look back at Luke 11:13 for a minute. And it says right here, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And Matthew in his parallel says every good thing. The best earthly father we have is still someone affected by sin, but God himself is perfect in all his ways. And an earthly father points us in the best ways to the reality of who God is. And if an earthly father is not going to give a kid a scorpion, he's going to give their child what they need, how much more so God... Matthew 7, 11 says, will give us good things. Luke 11 says the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the source of all good things. 
the kindness, grace, mercy, gentleness, joy, and abundant provision of God to his children is that he will give us all good things. He knows what we need. He has the power to provide it. And as our good, perfect, kind, heavenly father, he will. You see, when you're saved, you're adopted. And when you're adopted, that means you're a child of God. And when God makes you a child, he obligates himself to provide for and protect you, not in a, in a way of irritation, but in a way of joy, because he chose you before the foundation of the world to save you as his own. And insofar as we understand who God is, we rest and rejoice in this. And I fear too often we know parts of God. We know God is powerful, just, holy, but do we know God is kind, merciful, gentle, lowly, and compassionate? You see, the, the fact is Jesus is telling us about God's plan. God's plan when he saves us is that we will seek first his kingdom. God's provision is I provide for the ravens, the lilies, the, the grass. I will how much more so provide for you. God's comfort is that I am your father. You are my adopted child. I love you and delight in you and will give you every good thing. You don't need to worry about filling your barns because the Lord owns a cattle on a thousand hills. So his, your, your, barns, your barns don't need to be full, but your provision will be perfect. Philippians 4.19 Insofar as we build the barns and manage the provisions, then we have anxiety. The market goes down, the world freaks out, but I don't know if God's portfolio dropped. But it's not just wealth, it's everything in life. As we forget that God is perfectly in control and we have no power to add to the number of our days. I mean, think about that for a minute. And I know someone is out there turning to someone going, well, yeah, we wear seatbelts and we go to the doctors and we take vitamins. Yeah, I'm glad you do because that's stewarding your life. It's not saying just go eat McDonald's every day and you can't change God's number. Ah, glut, gluttony is a sin. I'm, I'm just saying you might not want to do that. But the goal of eating well, the goal of wearing a seatbelt should be stewarding your body to use it for the glory of God. I fear too often we try to do that to prolong our days. And you can't, Jesus' whole point is you can't prolong your days, but your God has already determined them, your Father who will provide all you need food and clothing, so that your days will be purpose, per perfect, so that his, your purpose for him will be fulfilled. Do you see that? Do you see the joy in that? And here's the tension. But we're going, but, but God, you understand, I want my barns full. I want my castle nice. I want my, no, 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 slow down a little bit. Because this God, his ways are perfect. Who, who has known the mind of the Lord or been his counselor? But yet our stressor, our, our rub is we think we know better than God. I think I know what I need better than God knows what I need. Well, hang on a minute. Look at how Jesus ends this. He says something kind of crazy. He says, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. What is he talking about? Imagine someone says to you, what do I need to do to enter the kingdom of God? What do I need to do to be saved? And your response was, Go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then you can enter the kingdom of God. Would you pass the theology test? Well, Matthew 19, didn't Jesus say that? Sell what you possess and follow me. Luke 9, 23, didn't we hear Jesus say, deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow me? Uh, Matthew 10, 38, if you don't take up your cross, you're not worthy to be my disciple. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What, what is Jesus talking about? Sell your possessions. Do we have to sell our possessions to be saved? 
Do we have to bear our cross to be his disciple? Do we have to go and, and give away all that we have to, to be able to follow him? You know, he, he talks about if you don't hate your mother, hate your father, hate your sister, hate your brother, hate yourself, you're not worthy to be his disciple. What's he talking about? He's talking about this. Salvation is for desperate people. It's not for people who like the benefits of Jesus. It's not for people who check his resume and think, I'll hire him. It's for people who recognize their sinfulness, their depravity before a just and holy God, who recognize that they have nothing on their own to bring to God to merit their, themselves to him. And they cry out to him for forgiveness because their life is a wreck and a disaster as they live for their own glory and try to fill their own barns for no purpose but to face the wrath of God. But God. You see, I, I think too often we think Jesus makes suggestions and we try to rationalize them away. If Jesus said to you, sell your possessions and give to the needy, I'm, I'm fearful that, that all of us, myself included, would say something to Jesus like this. Ha! That's really funny. I know I'm saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. You jokester, I don't have to sell my stuff now. Or if Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Well, Jesus, silly little you, I'm trying to keep your commandments, but life is hard and I'm saved by grace through faith, so I don't have to keep your commandments to be saved. Come on, Jesus, you know better than this. I, I fear we, we rationalize and distort the reality of who Jesus is. He's not your buddy asking you, hey, do you want to follow me? We're going to go fun places. No. He's Lord and Savior. He's, he's Prince of Princes. He's King of Kings. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one who made all things by him and through him and for him. He owns you and rules over you, and you must obey him. Jesus demands, Jesus commands, but watch this, my friends. He provides the way through new birth and joy to keep his commandments, and through that he is glorified, not you. It's Ezekiel 36. What do you have to do to be saved? How, how is one saved? We, we have so many messed up presentations of the gospel. Well, if you pray a prayer and you ask Jesus into your heart, you'll be saved. I didn't know Jesus was waiting for permission to come into your heart. You know, it, it's, it, it, if, if you turn from your ways and turn to God, then, then you'll be saved. Well, that sure looks like you have a whole lot more power over your salvation than God does. If you'll choose Jesus, or, or if someone will explain to you the, the intellectual truth so that you'll, you'll affirm his resume. No, stop. You know how you're saved? You're saved by Ezekiel 36, 25. God choosing to, listen to this, sprinkle clean water on you. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Here's what Jesus is saying when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Look at that. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus calls his people to the impossible, which is made possible by the working of his Holy Spirit. 
Salvation is, listen, nominal Christianity, cultural Christianity looks at Jesus like this. I have a felt need. My marriage is not great. My finances aren't in order. I have problems with, with my emotional health. I just, I'm not happy with life. Jesus, can you help me? And then you hear, well, come to this. We'll show you how Jesus fixes your marriage and Jesus fixes your parenting and Jesus fixes your finances. And guys, as I read Luke, those are the crowds showing up for the benefits. That's not salvation. That's nominal Christianity. Biblical Christianity is this. My, my life, what is it for? What's the purpose of life? Why do I have so many stressors in life? Why am I so anxious? Oh my goodness, look at me. Look at God. Look at what God commands of all people. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you go, my God, I, 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 I don't do this. I can't do this. I don't even want to do this. And you cry out to God, Lord, save me. And he sprinkles clean water on you. And he gives you a new heart and a new spirit within you. And then when you hear Jesus say something to you, like sell all your possessions, what you're saying, side note, he's not calling each of you to sell all your possessions today, but you can pump the brakes there for a minute. But what you do is you don't come to Jesus and try to excuse disobedience. You don't try to rationalize disobedience. You don't not don't care about disobedience. You come to God and you cry out to God and say, God, I can't help me. And then you see how you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And you see back this all the way up. We live with a mindset of our kingdom and our castle and and as you, as you get a job, right, you get five or 10 years where you forget to save. And then you think, oh my goodness, I have to stop working at some point. I got to start saving. And so you start trying to, to, to put stuff away so one day you can retire. So when your body won't, won't get you up in the morning to work, somebody will be there to provide for you. And that's Mr. IRA until Mr. Social Security shows up. And then you get nervous if the market starts moving around because if Mr. IRA or Mr. Social Security doesn't show up like you expect, who's going to provide for you? Or maybe you're doing good, right? And you're thinking, well, you know, I got this castle and I can get another castle. Not only the other castle, now I can start leaving castles for my kids and my grandkids. And, and, and I can keep filling up more barns. And yeah, I'll take Mr. IRA and Mr. Social Security. But, but that's just a little sprinkling on the Sunday. Life's good. I can now rest, relax, and be merry. Mm. I think we read about that guy. Now, am I saying it's bad to save? No. Am I saying it's bad to ha have, have two houses? No, but what I'm saying is this, rather what Jesus is saying is this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. What are these things? Food, clothing, shelter. You may have a lot, you may have a little, but in Christ you'll always have enough. And here's the tension, here's what Jesus is after. God is glorified when our delight in him is full and our delight in him is full as we see him as better than anything else and to live a life where we trust that god will provide for us perfectly as he fulfills his purpose for us is actually the chief end of man that is what life is all about and it's accomplished as we daily surrender our kingdom keys to God, as we daily cry out and say, God, not my house, but your house, not my will, but yours be done. And it happens by new birth as we know him as father.
You see, God's commandments are not burdensome, but a joy and a delight to the heart. In fact, Jesus says his yoke is light and his burden is easy. Doesn't he say that? But we spend our whole lives worrying about, well, who's going to take care of me? There's a robust, resounding answer to that in this text. If you've trusted in Christ, do you know who will take care of you? His name is Yahweh. And Yahweh may fill your IRA. He may provide Social Security. He may even give you a barn that he has chosen to allow you to fill. But the moment you find your joy, security, comfort in those things, Mr. Worry, Mr. Fear, Mr. Anxiety comes in. And God does not want his children to worry because worry only comes when we doubt the reality of who God is and who we are in Christ. Do, do you see? I mean, think about who this God is. He's not a, a sergeant screaming at you to demand you obey his orders up in your face, spittle flying, screaming at you. No. It's far more powerful than a drill sergeant. It's far more powerful than, than a, a four-star general. It's far more powerful than the most powerful person who's ever lived on the face of the earth. Because he's God and all power is his. But he reveals himself to us as a father, a father who delights in caring for his kids. So take a minute and look at this text. And Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, in light of the parable of the rich fool, and the goal is to not be a fool, amen? And what he's doing is he's singing a song, but with a different title. You remember, don't worry, be happy. What Jesus is saying is, don't worry, be faithful. I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are, what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. I love this expression. Fear not, little flock. He doesn't say, fear not, my pride of lions. No, he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Not something from the kingdom, not a part of the kingdom, the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
We spoke about this in, in prayer time this morning. God is a jealous God. God will not share his glory with another. You cannot serve two gods. You cannot serve both God and money. And what God is saying here is not Jesus yelling, stop it, stop it, stop mm, Jesus didn't talk that way. It's Jesus saying to his people, come on out of the septic tank and sit with me by the shore. The stuff you're hanging on to for comfort and provision and joy, it doesn't work. It's salt water. But I am living water. I am the bread of life. Turn to me and be saved. Trust in me and have joy. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We spend our lives in an uncertain world. We, we look at circumstances in our life and we become fearful. We, we, we want to control something. And little by little you realize you can control nothing. The illusion of control disappears. And when the illusion of control disappears, we become incredibly anxious. But when the reality sets in that God is in control of all things, and in his providential control, he has saved you by sprinkling you with clean water, and he promises to provide for you and tells you he's obligated himself to do so, and you hear the words of a tender and compassionate and merciful God speaking to his little flock, saying, fear not. Why do you think we find comfort in the stuff we acquire more so than the God who is? It's because we're not yet fully sanctified. But perhaps you've had this experience as, as we close here. You ever go through something difficult, challenging, or concerning, or, or approach it, and you wonder how you're going to survive it, and on the back end, you look back and you see how God worked through that to care for you, to provide for you, and to protect you perfectly. And if you get enough distance and you can sort of see how God's been using it, you say something crazy like, I would actually do that again for the joy that I now have in seeing God more clearly through it. You know what I'm talking about? But then the next thing starts looming, and what do we do? We, we start going back to the old habits. But, 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 but if, my, if my barn's not full, who's going to take care of me? Little flock, don't you know how much your father cares for you? He knows everything you need. And, and this text is saying he knows everybody needs food and clothing. Right? And by his common grace, who does the rain fall down on? The wicked and the good. If God cares for all people in some ways, how much more those he has obligated himself to care for by adopting them as his children, as a good and perfect father. Now remember, adoption, we're not talking about God bringing in a, a one or a two-year-old, right? We're talking about sonship where he's entrusting his inheritance to. He gives us the kingdom. He cares for us like little children are cared for by a, by a perfect father or a perfect mother. But he doesn't just delight in caring for us. He delights in putting us on display and using us as we walk in obedience to his commandments for his glory. So here's where you land. Imagine Jesus looks at you and says, your barn is awful full. Why don't we go ahead and give that to the poor? 
What would you say to Jesus? This is the challenge. Would you say, <laughs> you're funny. Would you say, mm, you don't understand Jesus. I'm getting a little long in the tooth and I'm not going to be working forever. And if I drain that barn a little too much, yeah, it might not go well. Or would you be honest enough to say to Jesus, that scares the bejeebies out of me. I'm not so sure it's going to work out all right if I do that. Jesus, would you help me? Would you remind me of who I am? Would you remind me of who you are? And would you say that again just so I could be sure I heard you correctly? And then by your spirit, would you cause me to obey you? Or maybe your barn isn't full and you sit up all night going, I'm getting long in the tooth and there ain't nothing in there. How am I ever going to? And you start doubting God's goodness and kindness and mercy. And, and you say to Jesus, Jesus, did you forget about me? And you see, when you, when, you, when you feel that, what you need to do is you need to cry out and say, God, forgive me for doubting the reality of who you are, but also for forgetting the reality of who I am in you. Would you remind me of who you are, who I am, and by your spirit, give me the power to trust that you will provide for me perfectly? Because he always does. So Jesus here is continuing this narrative, and he's telling us, don't be a fool. Walk by faith. And as you walk by faith, how, how incredible, what a gift of God. He doesn't manage our anxiety. He removes our anxiety because we realize our anxiety comes from seeking our kingdom and managing our castle rather than seeking his kingdom first and building his castle for his glory. For as we do, he promises to provide all we need. Now, verse 35 keeps it going, but we'll do that next week. Let's pray. Lord God, please help us. Lord God, for those of us who are saved, we confess this is a struggle to trust and obey you. It is a daily toil where on occasion it is a joy and a delight. And by your power, we are able to trust you. But at other times we struggle with doubt, with fear, with worry, with anxiety with selfishness, with pride. And we don't want to trust you. We don't feel safe in trusting you. In fact, we don't feel like we can trust you. Father, forgive us. Because as those who are saved, we can. As those who are saved, we will. And as those who are saved, we will and we can because we do it in your power for your glory. And Lord, help us begin not by trying harder to obey, but by seeing better who you are and who we are in you, and through that being enticed to obey. For Lord, why would we want to trust in an idol as opposed to trust in you, our risen Lord and God? Why would we think that we know better than you when your ways are perfect and your word is always true? Lord, we are a people who are anxious about a variety of different things, but you tell us in your word, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Well, Lord, that's not just praying to make the fear go away. That's praying that we would be conformed to the image of Christ, who in his humanity, by the power of the Spirit, trusted you as his father perfectly. Lord, help us to do so. 
so that we might glorify you as we delight in you. Lord, how incredible that you are glorified as we delight in you. And your commandments are not burdensome, but a joy and a delight to lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake, so that through them your power is made known, your people are seen, and your perfect provision is displayed before all the world. Lord, put us on display. Give us mouths to speak your truth. Give us lives lived out in light of your truth. And use us to entice others to your truth as we boast in you and tell them about you, this God who saved. Lord, help us to remember from what we were saved and to what we are saved, to what we were before you, enemies, to what we are in you, Lord Jesus, friends and sons. Remind us, God, of how you see us and help us to see ourselves in same measure. Fear not, little flock, for your Father knows. Lord God, remind us of your perfect wisdom and knowledge and delight us in walking in your will. You are good and perfect and kind. Help us to trust in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We will close with a song and a benediction, and then we will gather for Sunday school at 1045. So, JJ, you want to close us with a song?